In order to best explain what the anima and animus are, I will quickly reference two basic concepts we have learned about in the past two videos. Number one, the necessity of integration. In order for you, the ego, to grow as a person, you must integrate unconscious contents by bringing them into conscious territory. One way this integration of the unconscious happens is through what Carl Jung calls the confrontation with the shadow. In order to survive in a world that is constantly threatening you, it is necessary to confront the negative, threatening parts of life so one can analyze them and bring them under some form of control. The confrontation of these negative things extends throughout one's life, from basic moral lessons to seemingly life-threatening tasks. These confrontations of the worst evils and terrors are necessary and unavoidable. The reason why this is the case is explained with concept number two, the necessity of opposites. In order for one's inner light, one's consciousness to grow in size, it is necessary for there to be a greater darkness. After all, there can be no light without darkness, and a light can only shine its brightest when there is a greater darkness to define it. What this psychological fact implies is that all human beings have a negative side, a side full of dark traits that we desperately try to keep unconscious. After all, if we don't keep them unconscious, they might contradict the image we collectively try to project to others, that of a moral, hard-working member of society. Nonetheless, that side is there, just as there is a negative side to everything. It is only by coming to terms with this negative, unconscious side that our positive, conscious side can grow. Now that we have re-established these two basic concepts, I can properly explain what the anima and animus are. When Jung says that there is a negative side to a human being, this is a sort of general observation. What we haven't discussed are some of the specific contents one can find in their shadow. One of these opposite contents that you can find internally, inside your own shadow, is the opposite of your gender. If you are a man, there are feminine tendencies inside your unconscious mind. If you are a woman, there are masculine tendencies inside your unconscious mind. These opposite tendencies are unconscious contents that one must integrate and bring under control. For a man, these unconscious tendencies can be collectively referred to as the anima. For a woman, they are referred to as the animus. These archetypes of anima and animus are often kept unconscious because they are difficult to reconcile with our conscious existence as a man or woman. If one is a stereotypically masculine brute, it will take a long time for that man to recognize his capacity for empathy and meekness. If you're a woman and are a stereotypically feminine damsel, it will take a while for that woman to develop assertiveness and reflection. When a man recognizes that he has an inner anima, and vice versa for females, it is necessary to bring these classically feminine and masculine traits under our control, to make use of the positive feminine and masculine traits and rein in the negative ones. This will take a while though. Often before one recognizes their inner anima or animus, two things can potentially happen. Projection and possession. Let's start with projection. In episode 2, I mentioned that a person might project their shadow onto the world around them if it isn't properly integrated. When this happens, the world will take on an evil, malevolent character. 
The same thing can happen with the anima and animus, but instead of it being projected onto the world, it's projected onto members of the opposite sex. For example, let's say a man encounters a particularly attractive woman. This woman might be attractive for her looks, her brains, her interests, or many other things. The man sees these various qualities as positive ones because they reflect all the positive qualities of his inner anima. After a certain period of time, the man becomes smitten with this woman. She's perfect for him. Unfortunately, as humans are wont to do, he will project only the positive aspects of his inner anima onto her and ignore all the negative ones. Let's say this man gets into a long-term relationship with this woman. After a while, he starts to realize that even though she has all these positive qualities, she has a lot of negative ones. She's messy, she's rude, she does drugs, whatever. Eventually, this hypothetical couple breaks up. When this happens, the man might say to himself, Wow, she is not who I thought she was. Well, who said she was what you thought she was? You only thought she was this angelic figure because you were projecting this archetype of the feminine spirit onto her. You didn't love her for who she was, faults and all. You loved her because you thought she was the physical manifestation of your inner anima. For the most part, the reverse is true for a woman. If you want to see some severe examples of animus projection, look at some old videos of women fainting in the aisles while watching Michael Jackson or The Beatles back in the day. The men are handsome, rich, talented, and sensitive. They are projecting their inner animus onto these men. As we all know, however, a decent number of famous people are complicated and troubled behind the scenes. Moving on to possession. This is where things can get potentially ugly. Like how the shadow can subsume a person's ego and turn them into a monster, the anima and animus can subsume a person's ego and turn them into an avatar. Possession is usually instigated after the man or woman has a negative experience with somebody of the opposite sex, be they a father, mother, brother, sister, lover, etc. To use Jung's words, when a man is anima-possessed, he becomes prone to irrational moods. When a woman is animus-possessed, she becomes prone to irrational opinions. If you're having a hard time conceptualizing this, allow me to cite you a couple of examples. In regards to animus possession, I'll cite something related to Jordan Peterson. One of the pivotal moments in Peterson's career was his interview with Kathy Newman of Channel 4. This was a pivotal moment, not just because of the amount of attention he received after this, but because of all the internet memes this interview generated. The focus of these memes centered around Kathy Newman's combativeness with Peterson. Generally speaking, she either argued against everything he said, or she tried to turn what Peterson said into something fitting her ideological worldview, vis-a-vis. -vis. So what you're saying is, the purpose of this was to make Peterson out to be some sort of evil, underhanded trickster. Soon after this Newman interview, Peterson had another interview with an outlet called Gein Stigel. I think that's how it's pronounced. During this interview, Peterson commented on the Newman interaction and said that she was animus-possessed. She had irrational opinions. Now, as for a man being anima-possessed, the best example I can think of comes from a video game called Silent Hill 2. Spoilers ahead for those who haven't played the greatest horror game of all time. The protagonist of Silent Hill 2 is a man named James Sunderland. During the game, he encounters the physical manifestation of his inner anima in the form of Maria. 
You can tell by Maria's choice of clothing and her flirtatious behavior that she is a form of wish fulfillment for James. The only problem is, she isn't real. Because James has made bad choices in his life and finds himself in a dangerous place like Silent Hill, Maria represents everything he wishes he could escape to. To use Jung's words, the imperfections of real life with its laborious adaptations and manifold disappointments naturally cannot compete with such a state of indescribable fulfillment. As I said before, possession by the animus or anima is usually instigated by negative experiences with the opposite sex. They can be instigated by positive experiences, like if a man has been overly protected by his mother for all of his life and develops a semi-edipal complex. Nonetheless, it seems like negative experiences tend to spur the possession. Once one becomes possessed, one successful way of counteracting this possession, according to Jung, is to recognize other variations of male and female imagos. Now what does that mean? Well, if you're a man, and you have a bad experience with a woman, if someone tells you that not all women are like that, it's in your best interest to recognize that. By continuing to surround yourself with other women that are more mature, wise, and integrated, the possession tends to lose its grasp. This will be difficult because possession can give people a sense of righteousness. For instance, Kathy Newman must have felt powerful taking on this man who she must have perceived as a purveyor of the patriarchy. James must have felt justified in conjuring his anima in physical form after having to deal with his wife's death due to illness. Nonetheless, these benefits are illusory, temporary. If this fact isn't recognized, one will suffer the consequences. Thank you for watching. If you like this video, make sure to give it a like. Make sure to subscribe so you can see future videos in this series. Also, if you want to support the work I am doing here, please consider going to my Subscribestar page. There are different rewards you will receive depending on how much you donate. There's a link to it in the description box below. If you don't have the capacity to leave a donation, that's totally fine. Really, the most important thing you can do to help me out is share this video. Share it with a fellow Jordan Peterson fan or a young fan so we can come together and talk about stuff that is intelligent and meaningful for a change. Also, so remember to subscribe to both Uberboyo and Jimmy Boyo for more discussion about Ion and other Jungian content. I'll leave a link to their channels down below in the description box. Until next time, just remember, stay yellow.